0: Esther chapter 6, just looking at verse 1, in the middle of the book it says this, hear the word of God, on that night the king could not sleep, he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king, grass withers, flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever, all right, on this Seemingly insignificant verse, and the seemingly insignificant event that it describes, a king who can't sleep and read something, hangs the whole plot of the book of Esther. And not only the whole plot of the book of Esther, but also the whole future of God's people. Will they be annihilated? It's what Haman in the story is planning, has a decree already for the king that it would happen. Or will they be preserved and their enemies are destroyed? What Esther is in the middle of hoping for and working for, this happens between the two feasts that he gives. The whole plot of the book of Esther hangs on this, the whole future of God's people, and, and so also the whole of God's promise of redemption. It's God's promise that a Messiah would come for the world through his people. They're annihilated. How's that going to work out? So it says the whole plot can turn around this very seemingly insignificant uh, event. And, and if such small, unimportant occurrences can have such major, life-sweeping, uh, course-altering effects, how do we deal with that? Uh, wh- what confidence is there? What hope is there if, as we walk through life? Because it's, it's not that this is some strange big deal that happened then. This is the kind of things that we're, some nights you can't sleep very well. <laughs> what would have happened if you had slept well? Where, where do these things go? We have uh, coincidence and happenstances just all, all around us. And we, we look at it, as we see life, we can't really pretend that we're actually in control of our destiny. Because uh, there's too many things that we don't have control of that can affect it so widely. Um, you, know, you have that job, and it seems like you had a good interview, and you put in your application as you talk to them, and they tell you they're going to get back to you, and you don't hear anything. You don't hear anything. Um, because your application got lost or they couldn't read your handwriting uh, on it to send you the email back. And that job that you thought was going to work out so well doesn't. It was completely outside of your control. Um, or maybe you, you meet uh, Mr. Wright um, and you give him your number and he puts it into his phone, but he types the wrong digit. And you're like, why doesn't he ever call? Um, and there's just things that happen that we're not in control of. Um, and it often feels like we're just left playing the odds, right? Playing the odds. It's the luck of the draw, or it's the toss of the dice, as it were, because uh, that's exactly what the book of Esther is about. It's about dice, uh, rolling the rolling dice, random chance, uh, Purim, the feast of, of Purim. Uh, it, you have a few places in the passage that I put for you there um, that talks about lots, uh, the, this, that they would be casting lots or casting pur. Purim is just the plural for, for this word, pur, which, which is a word for a, a dice. Um, they, they have like things where they've gone back in Persian history and they, something that looks kind of cubic like what we have and has similar markings to our dice. This is what the book of Esther is is about, the random chance of how things fall out. It describes for us the events that lead to a feast uh, called Purim that's still celebrated today uh, that celebrates the toss of the die and how it worked out. It celebrates Purim, celebrates lot, celebrates how the dice fell out because though it was cast by their enemy to destroy them, that's not what happened. Instead, they were preserved. And their enemies were put down. Apparently the odds, random events in life, the odds were in their favor. So we're going to go through and look at just three different sides uh, of, of this, of the story in Esther. Um, but as we get through, I want you to just think, ask yourself the question, are, are you simply just left playing the odds for how life rolls out? of the events that happen around you? Are you just bouncing from one coincidence to another? Is there any ultimate thing you can do about it? Does your life just essentially rest on the flip of the coin or the toss of the dice? Or is there more to it somehow? First thing I want you to see is against all odds and an unlikely story. Because even the setting of the book of Esther is a really Unlikely story of what would happen, right? I mean, how many people really have the chance of becoming queen? A queen? Now I know some of you are like from Orlando, and so you grew up going to Disney all the time, and so you think every girl can be a princess, um, right? But but not talking about life when you're watching the Disney movie or life when you're in the theme park, uh, but life when you're like on the way to Disney and you're stuck in traffic and the people in the car are yelling at one another and frustrated, or then when you're trying to meet up with people afterwards and you're worn out from a long day at the park and you're arguing over who's going to meet who, where, and what's going to happen, like that side of reality, what are the chances of who actually gets to be uh, a queen? Um, In some ways, this story feels like it has more in common with some of the fairy tales than what reality often is experienced for, for most of us, just typical experiences What are the chances, what are the odds of a young Jewish girl becoming queen of the great Persian empire? The dominant empire of the time. Right? I mean, only like the most wealthy girls from the right families with the right connections uh, even have a chance of being considered. Um, And here's Esther, this young Jewish girl. This young Jewish girl who is in exile from her home country, uh, just living in the capital of Persia. This this young Jewish girl who's an orphan because both of her parents have died and she's being uh, raised by her uncle. But it just so happened that by a series of coincidences, happenstances, against all odds, that Esther... Young, orphaned Jewish girl in exile becomes queen of the Persian Empire. And at just the right time for God's people and God's purposes. Against all odds. Because Xerxes, the king of Persia, or Ahasuerus, uh was already married. That kind of cuts out the chances right there, right? You know, like, oh, this person's really, oh, they're married. Um, he's already married. He's married to Vashti, who is an amazing and impressive and beautiful uh, woman. In fact, he's proud of her and impressed with her so much by her beauty that after he's had this feast, he wants her to come out so all the other people can see how amazing his wife is. Odds look pretty bad for anyone else uh, getting in. But it just so happened that Vashti did the wrong thing at the wrong time, at least as Xerxes was uh, concerned. When the king called her out to be uh, shown before his friends, she refused. For whatever reason, that the text doesn't tell us, she didn't want to come out. And she wasn't going to do what Xerxes told her, which the king of the Persian Empire was not going to stand for. He feels shamed in front of his uh, friends. And so he asks his counselors what he should do, and he gets some very poor advice uh, and decides that he should be rid of her. Uh, She is no longer the queen. She's removed from that position, and she's not to come before uh, Xerxes ever again. Maybe there is a a possibility then, Uh, but still not really for someone like Esther. Except that it just so happened that instead of looking for a new queen the ordinary ways, the ordinary channels of connections of the right families, the king gets some more poor advice to stage a, a beauty and sex contest Uh, between all the best girls in Susa. So he has his people uh, round up the best uh, young virgins in the city of Susa that they would all be uh, taken and they would belong to him and they would prepare for like a year and then each of them would get to spend one night with him. And whichever one that he chose out of, we can only assume, many uh, would become the new queen. Um, And Esther is selected. Among those who happen to live in the capital, were beautiful and attractive. Um, and as Esther has her, can you call it an opportunity? Uh, there, with the king, one night, it says the text says that the king loved her more than all the rest. And so it just so happened that Esther, this young orphan Jewish girl in exile, becomes the queen of Persia. At just the right time. Queen. Do you ever just stop and wonder why? Why are the things in your life the things that have happened in your life? Why? Good things, bad things, the way that they are, why? Why were you born who you were, who you are, where you, where you were? Uh, with the ethnicity uh, that you have, the socioeconomic status uh, that you've uh, had, the, the family that you've known, uh, and the circumstances of the course of your life before you were even able to make decisions for what gets to happen. Why is that what your life was? How would it have been different if you were born centuries ago or like back when Persia was the great dominant empire or in another part of the world, another time? Uh, how have the things that have happened set the directions for your life in ways that, that you can't control? Why? Uh, why have certain things happened? Certain hurts? Projections? How that you've experiences, experienced? Uh, difficulties? That um, just didn't feel like they were deserved? It's not something that you did that brought that on? Why'd that happen? Or maybe the other side of it. Maybe you've gotten lucky. Uh, maybe you've been fortunate for a lot of the things that you've experienced. But, but why? Why do, why do you get to experience that when, when others haven't? Um, the question we keep asking is, is why? And usually the best answer, you know, it's a somewhat annoying answer. The, the best answer is the answer that we find that Mordecai gives uh, in chapter 4, verse 14. Why? Why? The answer that Mordecai gives is, who knows? Who knows why? Um, we don't know why. It's not because we're better than others and so this, the, we got to enjoy the life that we've led or, or that we are worse than others. And that's why these bad things uh, happen to us or these hardships. It's just, what happened? It's mostly out of your control. And from what we can see in life, we can't give a sure answer. All Mordecai, I can say, is, is, is who knows? Who knows whether you've come into the kingdom uh, for, for such a thing in such a time uh, as this. But it is an interesting question, why? It's a, it's a question we have a hard time to not asking. And especially with such an unlikely story when so many coincidences just seem to happen to line up in a certain way. The odds, uh, against all odds, this unlikely story of Esther becomes a queen. But sometimes the odds also seem uh, stacked against you. Um, You have not just an unlikely story, but an unlikely story that becomes a, a sad story. There's few things more frustrating in life than those, like, just bad days when it feels like the universe is just lined up against you. Right. When when from day one, when you get, roll out of bed, uh, you, you, you know, fall or you look at your text message and something bad has already happened or uh, your computer already isn't working. Or the, the paper that you had had lined up and printed out, it, it's not there anymore. Who took your paper? You have to turn it in the next class. Like you roll out of bed that way and then everything else from then seems to just keep going bad. The universe uh, feels like it's against you. No matter what you try to do, obstacles get in the way. You, you take the test and you feel like it went horrible. You're like, you need something that'll be the pick-me-up. So you so you call your friends. You can't get a hold of anyone, really. No one's going to text me back, seriously. Um, and then finally you find out, oh, it's because they've already gone out. Um, but you're not really sure where, but all your friends are together somewhere, and, and you're not there. Um, so fine, you go home, you get on your computer, maybe you'll watch YouTube or stream some kind of video, Put your internet's down. Really? Really? Your internet's down on top of that? Um, so you just play solitaire on your computer. You lose. Again. Again. Until you just close the whole thing down. Finally you hear back from people. That you know where they are. You start to head over there. And what happens? Bam. Rear-ended. Right? Ah, if it couldn't get any worse, there it is. If the way the tow truck driver comes out there, friends come over and get you, your car's being towed off, take you back to your apartment, you try to go in and you realize your keys are still in your car that's being towed down to the south side of town. right? We know days that just feel like that, where it feels like the universe is lined up against you. Everything that's going wrong, everything that could go wrong is. You've had those kind of days. This story in Esther, as you're reading through it, feels like it's going to be the sad story where the odds are stacked against them, where the odds are stacked against God's people. Uh, Esther's uncle Mordecai, who uh, works in the gate of the city, he's he's an official of the king, has just defended uh, the king's right-hand man. The man who's been promoted to second uh, of all the officials in the Persian kingdom, number two, Esther's uncle won't bow the knee to, rejects him, and Haman can't take it, and is frustrated by him. Um, and so as you see in uh, one of the verses there in the, up at the top, chapter 3, verse 6, uh, Haman decides that he's going to get back at Mordecai, but he doesn't want to just get Mordecai. Cause that would look petty as if he was focused on just one person and their insult of not bowing the knee to him. So instead he's got the great idea that he'll kill all of Mordecai's people. He's got the power. He's the second hand of the King and he's going to, he's going to do everything so that all the Jews, uh, all of Mordecai's people are destroyed. This is more than just a sad story. This is a story that looks like it's headed toward a genocide on the level of the Holocaust. Um, Not to mention that God's Messiah, who would be the way of rescue for all of humanity, has been promised to come from the Jewish people that Haman is ready to exterminate. The odds seem stacked against them. Uh, Here's here's five cards in that deck that seem stacked against uh, God's people. Uh, Because if there's one guy that you don't want to have to deal with, uh, it's Haman. Haman the the Agagite. Um, this This is the one guy that you're hoping know that you don't have to, he's the, he's the no-suit-for-you guy, right? Like, you come up and you're like, oh, I'm going to come back later. This is not who I'm going to deal with. Uh, Haman is, the, the, is an enemy of God's people. He's called an Agagite. And Aga, Agag was a, uh, was a king of the Amalekites who were the first enemies of God's people. As they came out of the Exodus, crossed the Red Sea, and are on the way to the mountain to meet with God, before they get to the mountain to meet with God, the Amalekites come out against them. The first battle, the first enemies against God's people. This is the one, if you know the story, where God has Moses go up on the mountain. As long as he holds his arms up, the Israelites will win. And they defeat them in that battle, but they're told that they were, God says, that there will continue to be war against them from generation to generation. Now, Agag was a king of the Amalekites in the days of of King Saul. As Israel comes in the the monarchy and the kingdom is, is growing, um, and God told Saul to, to go and destroy the Amalekites and everything that they had, take nothing. Well, well, Saul goes, and they win that battle, but Saul decides, you know, I mean, this guy's the king, and they have a lot of possessions and some of their sheep, and I'm just going to keep some of this, and doesn't destroy them the way God had said. Um, and, and so it's already been seen through Scripture that here are the enemies of God's people. You imagine maybe Haman has a bone to pick. Uh, against Mordecai. Mordecai back uh, to him. This is the last guy that you want to be over you and have to deal with. But he's the second, uh, second most powerful person in the empire. Not only that, but the first most powerful person in the empire uh, seems to be a very weak king. I don't know if you noticed, if you read through Esther, or if you were here last week as we read through this story, uh, This Xerxes, or Asperis, he seems to make almost no decisions for himself. Every time something has to be decided, he asks his counselors and says, what do you think I should do? And they give him not really good advice, and he's like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Um, He's not someone that just sees the right thing and takes the right course of action. He listens to whatever his counselors tell him. And so Haman has his ear. (coughs) Uh, Card two of the stack against him. Thirdly, uh, money talks. At this point, this is not the card that you want to draw. Money talks, you don't have it, Haman does. Haman promises uh, uh, 10,000 talents um, uh, on the level of hundreds of millions of dollars to Xerxes, whose funds are low because they just waged a war against Greece. They didn't really do so well. Um, Here's Haman saying, hey, I've got got something I want to see happen. You would like to see me give you some money. Let's work this thing out. The king doesn't even ask who the people are that Haman wants exterminated. He just says, okay, take my ring and do what you want with it. And the dice have already rolled against the Israelites, it would seem, or the, or the Jews. Uh, Haman, as he's planning this out, has already sat and, and taken the the pyramid the and, and rolled in the castle lots to see how it would come. To see what would be the best day and the best month where he would be most likely to be able to, for his plan to succeed uh, against God's people. And it's fallen on the day that the Jews now celebrate as, as Purim. Um, and if that's not enough with all those uh, cards, the fifth one, uh, yeah, the king's laws are irrevocable. So once Haman writes it with the sing, uh, king's ring, the king's signature um, is done, uh, Haman gives, uh, the king gives Haman his uh, blank check to do what he wants. If you're seeing all those things happening. Um, who's going to take those odds? Like, like, really, here's second most powerful man, hates the, hates the Jews. King will only listen to what he says. The second most powerful guy, Haman, has all the money, has rolled the dice against the Jews to find the best time uh, to work against them, has gotten permission from the king to exterminate them, and that decree is irrevocable. Who are you going to bet on? Right, the odds are stacked against uh, God's people. you got to know when to fold them, unless that's your last chance. Uh, and and last, last hope. And you have to be all in. But listen, how does it feel when the odds f- seem to be all stacked against you? How do you respond on that bad day? If you're just like, this person hit my car. Oh, I know they just weren't watching. I don't, you know, like, I don't know why. This, we go like, why is this happening to me? <laughs> really? On top of everything else and I left, left my keys? I can't even get into my own apartment? This is what's going to top off my day? You feel like, why is this happening to me? Do I do I deserve this? Why does this go wrong for me? Does God hate me? Did I just did I just do something wrong? I, did I did I break the laws of the universe uh, somewhere? Am I worse than other people? Am I just am I just cursed? Um, is it my fault? Is there any way out? Is there any way out, or should I, I might as well just just give up? Uh, here, the question is is kind of. Has God given up on His people? Because yet He's made these promises about a Messiah that would come from them, but here they are in exile because they've rejected God. Has God given up on them? Is this just what He lets happen because He's he's done with them? uh, They're just not good enough. Is there no hope? It seems like, like a sad story until one night, it just so happened that the king couldn't sleep. Uh, and so thirdly, from against all odds, this unlikely story to the sad story where the odds seem stacked against us, uh, we have this uh, bedtime story, uh, if you will, uh, of, of what are the odds because then comes this seemingly insignificant event of chapter 6 verse 1. Well the king can't sleep. You've all had you know restless nights, sometimes you just you can't too much caffeine, too much stress. Too much excitement hanging out with people, things on your mind, who knows? But you don't expect that it'll alter the course of history. Um, but here every once in a while it just, just happens. You can't sleep, it's no big deal. Um, Daphne and Al seem incredibly to not be able to sleep most nights. They probably get up 20 times out of bed and come into the living room and you're like, mommy, I can't, I can't sleep. And we just say, well, we don't go like, oh my goodness, what's gonna happen in the world? Just like, Lay back in bed, stop talking to your sister, um, stop getting out of bed and coming tell me that you can't sleep, and maybe you'll fall asleep. <clears throat> well, King Xerxes can't sleep, and so he says, what am I going to do? I'm going to have a book read to me. Um, uh, uh, he asked for some boring reading material that's that's uh, sure to put, put someone to sleep. The book of the memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king, probably hoping that he could fall back asleep, and um, And they just happen, he just happened to not be able to sleep, and just happened to call them to read that particular uh, boring book. And as they read it, they open up and happen to read the part where Mordecai, Esther's uncle, had just happened to overhear a plot to try to assassinate the king. And it just so happened that while the king usually rewards the people that uh, that, that help cover for him, because that's the kind of behavior that you want to positively reinforce well and openly, so that continues to happen again, he says, what's, what's been done for Mordecai? And I say, nothing. He, he just happened to have forgotten to do anything for Mordecai until this particular time. What's going on right now? Well, this decree has been given from the king uh, out uh, that that the Jews are going to be exterminated on a certain day. Uh, And Mordecai has talked to Esther and said, Esther, go to the king and plead with him that he might do something about this. Uh, And Esther is gone and and wisely she goes and she talks to the king and she says, I want to give a banquet for you. So they feasted one day and he says, what would you like? What can I do for you? And she says, come back to my feast tomorrow. Then I'll ask you. And so it's on the night between those two feasts, the night before, Esther will ask the king to intercede for her people that he can't sleep. That he hears about what Esther's uncle has done. And he's reminded that he hasn't done anything to honor Esther's uncle. And it just so happens in that morning that Haman is the one waiting there asking for Esther's uncle to be thrown upon the stake of the gallows that he's built outside his house. And instead, he finds out that the king wants to honor Mordecai. And Haman ends up being the one, uh, walking him around uh, before everyone in the city, dressed in the king's robe, saying, this is the man that the king wants to honor. As you read through the book of of Esther, this is what happens. It's, It's as that king has that sleepless night happens to read this book, which happens to tell about what Mordecai happened to overhear that happened to not have been rewarded yet, that at that point everything else in the story begins to reverse. The fortunes begin to reverse. The fate, the destiny, as it would seem, begins to reverse from surely the odds being lined up for Haman against God's people to Haman being the one who seems to be about to fall. Shamed and humiliated before Mordecai, who he was expecting that he could be able to kill even before the uh, day came for the extermination. And all the reversal happens. From there, it uh, goes back to the second feast, and Esther asks the king to save her and her people. And he says, who is it who's doing this? She says, the wicked Haman. And the king is ready uh, to have Haman exterminated. And now instead of Haman being the one who's second in the kingdom, uh, his house, his wealth and possessions are given to Esther, uh, and his position second in the kingdom is given to Esther's uncle Mordecai. Um, and then they begin to ask, and they decree, or the king gives them permission to second decree uh, contrary to what the king had already decreed, so that the Jews could defend themselves against whoever attacked them, and they had the permission of the king to exterminate anyone who tried to exterminate them. Um. And so God's people are preserved and saved, and eventually their enemies are the ones who are destroyed. And it happens on the day that the dice had rolled to and said that will be the day that things get dealt with. What are the odds? What are the odds that it works out that way? Listen, this unlikely story, sad story, bedtime story, whatever. Um, If if the roll of the dice or a sleepless night can change history, how are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to do uh, with that? If the daily coincidences are of prime importance for our future, what confidence do you have? Um, What what hope do we have? If it's all random, very, very little. We're just left playing the odds. Unless, somehow, the odds are fixed. Unless, somehow, the odds are in your favor. Because if you read through the book of Esther, that's what you're beginning to see. All these circumstances and coincidences and the timing of when they happen, of things that you would never expect, lines up. And it lines up in just such a way to reverse everything that was expected. If I can, if I can use the line from the Hunger Games to uh, give you a summary of how I want you to look at this message. Um, may the odds be ever in your favor. Right, that's what's said before the start of the games. May the odds be ever in your favor. But as you read through it or as you watch the movie, you realize that it's not just the odds that are at play here. That the real conflict that's going on is also between those who are in the game and the game makers behind it. It's not just who happened to find the, rest, the right thing or have the skill uh, to get here, but there's a conflict of their orchestrating the game behind it uh, for a certain purpose of the entertainment of those who are watching. In other words, there's something behind the odds, uh, behind the probabilities, behind the coincidences, and even uh, the roll of the dice. Um, the, the book of Esther never mentions God. That's the way that we uh, often experience life, not being told what God is doing, without divine explanation of the wise. Uh, but the rest of Scripture is more overt and helps us, gives us the context in which we understand uh, the book of the book of Esther of life. It speaks about God's providence. It speaks about God being a king, not like Xerxes, kind of whatever someone else tells him, but the king who is ruling over all of it according to a plan uh, that he has set and continues uh, to work it out. Romans 8, uh, verse 28 says it very clear, very overt. It says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Or if you need to sum it up in the language of the Hunger Games, may the odds be ever in your favor. Uh, Because God works the odds, works every event in history for the favor of his people for the favor of His glory, uh, that He's working everything out uh, towards. Uh, uh, He has a purpose and direction towards which He organizes all the events of of history. And His purpose is summed up in His Son. Uh, That's how Ephesians 1 puts it. Uh, He's summed up all things together in Christ uh, for His glory. So there wasn't actually any doubt in the redemption of what was happening um, was God going to be faithful to his promises? God was orchestrating the whole thing. Um, and this is true in every, in every detail of every event of, of all of history. Uh, one of the commentators said it this way. It's not that the God of, Bob, of the Bible is simply able to do amazing miracles in the middle of history. It's that the God of the Bible is in control over all the ordinary and mundane and daily events of history, and working it toward His purpose of His glory and even taking care of the good of His people. <clears throat> so that in Christ, uh, the odds are always in your favor. That's not to say that <clears throat> every coincidence is going to line up well for you or that you have that day where everything seems to line up bad, that it's because God is against you. All those things are summed up together in Christ. But it means even these things where it seems to be that sad story where things are going uh, wrong all over the place have an eventual reversal, a different direction that they're heading toward. It's the Feast of Purim. It's the rolling of the dice of lots. Uh, Proverbs 16 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And so we get to look at the unlikely story a little bit different. Uh, the part of the gospel to us is that disobedient rebels, uh, and failures like us could be God's children. To be loved and accepted and approved and have an eternal place of life with God. It's an unlikely story. And yet it's one that God has promised and he is able uh, to work out has worked out through his son. Uh, Because what seemed to be a very sad uh, story when God himself uh, came into the flesh uh, for his people as the promised Messiah to rescue his people, the odds were stacked against him. And the Jewish authorities and the Gentile authorities from Herod uh, to Pilate all joined together. The people crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And the only innocent person in history was raised up on the cross, I nailed to it, to suffer and to die. God Himself, pouring out wrath against Him, condemning Him. It's a sad story that doesn't end there. Uh, and more more than a story that just has reversal and, and some uh, bedtime story, it's an epic uh, resurrection story of life. In the book of Esther, that's what hangs in the balance of uh, destruction or salvation. Uh, who lives and who dies and how it goes. And it goes according to God's plan, according to His purposes, focused on His Son for His people. That His promise of, of, finding, of bringing a way of salvation for humanity won't be thwarted. Um, he has placed out all the details to it. And when it came and everything seemed to be crashing uh, down what would look like the end of history or any hope. And on the third day, Christ rose from the dead, alive, no more to die, in victory over all the coincidences and happenstances and decisions and choices and conflict that would seem to press uh, against it. And God has had the victory. Just as in the book of Esther, God has the victory over his enemies, for his people, through his people. And he continues that hope for us today.